0: start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Today, I have Dr. Shamika Stewart here talking all about the pipeline from school to confinement. And welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Tell everyone listening a little bit more about you and your journey to what you are doing now. So I am I have a master's, of course,
1: in speech language pathology and a PhD from Powell University in Communication Sciences and Disorders. And I finished my PhD in 2013. And I've been a professor for about a decade. I am an associate professor at this current moment, teaching communication disorders and about Seven years ago, I started research and a focus specifically on the correlation between the school to confinement pipeline and youth with cognitive and communicative disabilities and learning disabilities that impact their involvement with the detention systems, the criminal justice system, and the school disciplinary systems.
0: Wow. And how did you get started in that area? What made you... Dive deep into that area. Honestly, this is a good question. People always ask me about it. And, and looking
1: back in hindsight, it, it kind of came full circle, uh, because it was a part of, you know, my life and my experience. Um, my, one of my siblings has been through the system, juvenile and adult carceral spaces. I have been, um, also suspended multiple times, uh, when I was younger and had involvement with, um, the school disciplinary action and, and, um, detention confinement spaces. And then, you know, so that kind of was like a preparation of understanding what that looks like. But then around the 15, 16 year, this is when we started to have this increase in fatal policing. And so my research and focus and push around this really started with the discussion about how a lot of the individuals that were being uh, fatally policed, i.e. Freddie Gray, Eric in Charlotte, North Carolina, they had documented cognitive and or communication disorders that no one was speaking about, but may have impacted the interaction that they ended up having with law enforcement. So it kind of started with that discussion. And I realized, you know, it's a kind of a day, late, dollar, short kind of conversation talking about it after they've already been fatally policed. And so I wanted to kind of discuss what could we be doing as clinicians on the front end To avoid those type of situations at the worst part happening, but even confinement occurring. So that's how I ended up in this
0: space. And just in case someone is, when you refer to the pipeline, what is that referring to for those listening? So usually people hear about, you know, the school to prison
1: pipeline and this idea that schools prepare you or, you know, condition youth's minds and tracks them towards prison But the honest conversation is that a lot of times the research has shown that before a youth even ever enters an adult carceral space, which is what prisons are, they've had multiple confinement experiences around this uh, process. So the pipeline is everything from one being confined internally with just having a disability that impacts your ability to communicate functionally, socially engage, all of those things. But then confinement trickles out when you're, the way you communicate is criminalized or penalized. And that looks like suspension. You know, it looks like detention. It looks like expulsion. And then it transfers to the juvenile detention space, which the reason why I'm very specific about the term confinement is because youth in a detention space are confined. When you are in a prison, you are incarcerated. They're two very different things. And so they're there needs to be a delineation between the wording.
0: And what data have, or I mean, not data specifically, but like, what are some stats that you can share when it comes to the prevalence of those that are confined to having um, language issues? I can
1: tell you that across the United States, the stats are just horrifyingly disgusting. I will tell you personally, living in the um, DMV, which is D.C., Maryland, Virginia metro area. Maryland is the second highest state to sentence you to adult sentences. As young as 14 years of age, years of age um, the state that beats Maryland is Alabama. And then you have Texas and then you have Tennessee. And, and so the numbers are so astronomical that there are states within the United States that incarcerates more youth than the entire United States. And so that's that part. And then just speaking directly and personally, I am the speech and language pathologist for all of the adult prisons in Maryland. And in that capacity, 98% of my caseload are Black males under the age of 23. Um, and so they all have either been incarcerated since they were youth or are facing double-digit numbers and would be incarcerated well beyond the development of their brain, which is around, you know, 25 to 27. So the stats are concerning and they're not going down, even though the system or, you know, news will tell you that we have less juvenile concerns or youth concerns happening. The incarceration and confinement of them is not changing.
0: Just out of curiosity for those listening, and I'm curious as well, what is the process for someone, for those incarcerated to get services? Is that something that was diagnosed pro- like beforehand with it? was it figured out while within how does that happen?
1: That's a good question. So generally adults in the carceral space do not receive speech and language intervention. They may receive psychology, but it's not a common process across the United States. But in Maryland, the Maryland system set up an agreement with the government that as long as an individual entered with an IEP under the age of 23, they would honor their IEP until they age out at 23. And so in that process, this is how those individuals are receiving services because when they are incarcerated and sentenced, we have a special education system, very similar to the regular IEP system. And it shows, you know, what services they were getting prior to entering the space. And if the individual, because they are now adults at this point, if they elect or agree to services, then services are provided. They don't have to have services.
0: If you can share any, like, I don't want to say aha, but success stories or breakthroughs with some of the clients that you work with. So just at a very, uh, every, every, uh,
1: in my opinion, every moment is a tangible, successful moment. But being honest and being very realistic, there is no great aha moment because like I said most of the individuals I am treating are not getting out anytime soon so there isn't any great like I did something great that's going to benefit you tomorrow because they're facing 10 to 15 to 20 year sentences sometimes some of them are in there for the rest of their lives so I think you know those type of seeing it making a difference probably not so much but in the position of being very realistic about allowing them to see something different from what they are used to or expect from the system, from education, changing the belief that they already have from real experience that, you know, the system doesn't really care as far as education. The education system doesn't care. Therapy never did anything for me because most times the clinicians that they had was just, you know, addressing something but not addressing what they needed. Just kind of giving them those real moments. So I like to correlate realistic things to their, their needs. You know, like, for instance, if you're, if you're continuously getting charged or getting, it's called tickets, getting a ticket for bringing in contraband or having contraband, let's talk about how we can, you know, alternate this process so that we reduce that the, the occurrence of you getting a ticket, like just realistic things to help them with problem solving or whatever they, difficulty is in that moment I guess there's those you know shifts that you kind of see and just the I think for me the personal aha for me is the fact that most times because my case so I've only had one white male on my law in the four years I've been doing this for Maryland prisons I think the aha or the special moment for me is the the light that goes into the youth's eyes when they see the black woman on the other side That comes to test them and it comes to treat them. And sometimes it's like disbelief. Like, wait, so you, you're my therapist. So are you, so you're going to be the one treating me? Oh, no, I'll come, I'll come. So it's just that process of like, wow, because the whole time you went through school, sometimes you've only seen a white teacher. You went and started a court and the judge was white. The prosecution was white. The jury was white. Most times your defense counsel is white. Then you get into prison. The correctional officers are white. The warden is white. So to see a therapist. Is black and kind of gets it and has been where you've been. I think that kind of does something too. It's
0: amazing that you're building that connection with them. Now, you mentioned that a lot of them feel like the system failed them. And a lot of people listening are wondering, you know, how can we advocate and help our students so that we prevent them from getting there? So can you share a little bit, maybe some more insight on ways that SLPs listening can advocate and help and yeah good question um
1: so absolutely it's not even a to couch what you're you're saying because it's a fact it's not even that they feel like it's a fact the system has failed them I mean even on the other side with my forensic work that is always my statement and I'm a, I'm low-key embarrassed to be a clinician because I'm like this is my profession that has failed you like that includes me I'm not absent from the rest of my profession so that knowledge of them knowing that we have failed them, I think the important thing is that first is for us to keep it 100, all clinicians, because I think there's sometimes this idea like, oh, well, I'm a great clinician and it's not me. It's those people. It's, it's all of us. We all play a part in this process. And part of that playing a part is when you don't speak up, when you see it happening or when you are aware that people are doing just the bare minimum. And, and granted, that happens because, you know, caseloads are large, things are large, but you have to be real with yourself to say at some point, am I doing a disservice? And if you know you're doing a disservice, then the discussion is about stepping aside or finding out how you can do things better. There's been plenty of times when I have called the um, director of services and, and been getting ready to tell her like, yeah, I'm not going to do this anymore because I didn't feel like I was giving it a hundred percent. And as soon as I get on the phone, she's like, you better not quit. She like already knows, but anytime I feel like I'm not doing you a service and I'm doing a disservice, let me step aside just in case somebody else can do this better than I'm doing it. And I don't think we do that enough. Like, as a profession, we function as a silo. And then personally, because no one wants to look like they don't know what they're doing. Got this whole degree. I'm making, you know, some some states now, all states, I'm making good money. And so you don't want to speak up on what you're not doing right. But if you're not tricking yourself and
0: being honest about how you have stumbled someone, then you're part of the problem. So, so true. And that. thank you for saying that, because I know many SLPs, myself included, have been in those positions where mm-hmm. we know what we're doing is not enough. Yes, right. We can be doing more. And you needing to just speak up and, and advocate for our students and ourselves and what is needed the system. It's a fact. It's a fact. And not just... And
1: to, and to not like, well, us to sound like we're bashing, you know, all SLPs because it's all professions. And, and, and let me be very clear that I don't only say this as I see this, I say this to every profession. I say this to judges when I'm giving them trainings. I say this to lawyers. Literally um, a couple of weeks ago, I did a training with lawyers and judges in a space. And one of the individuals, the legal professional made this statement that I always hear like, well, I got all of this stuff going on and I have this case and how can I? And my response always back is that this child didn't ask you to take this job. Like you took a charge, you chose to take this job. So as long as you're collecting this check and cashing it, you have a duty because that is a duty. And and anytime you're not doing that duty, you're breaching the agreement in the contract that not only you made with the job, but that you made with yourself and that you made with this child. So it's a it's a big process of like, I get it SLPs, I get it clinicians that caseloads are larger and things like that. But you chose this profession and the question becomes, well, what are you going to do to reduce your caseload? So that that's not an excuse, but we have to stop using those excuses.
0: So, so true. That Thank you for saying that because sometimes we need to just hear it. We know it. We need to hear it. And that's I, like that the number one way that we can advocate for our students and help You know, impact the student confinement pipeline Mm -hmm. is is just advocating for ourselves and our profession. That's a fact. What are some other red flags or things that SLPs listening that want to help improve in the system can do?
1: Another red flag, and not necessarily a red flag, but a big concern is that a lot of times the goals that clinicians write are not relevant. They are not relevant to the needs of the youth. And it doesn't fly to say, I gave them services when the services you give didn't benefit them in the first place. This is like, you might as well have not done anything. So a lot of times what ends up happening is I'm reading, you know, these, the records and the history and the IEPs of clinicians that came before this child ended up in this space. And the goals are, for lack of a better word, trash. You know, it's kind of like, you just wrote anything here. And, and and sometimes it may be because you don't fully understand what you're treating, what you're looking at, what you are assessing. And that's OK, because this is why we are on a continuum. Competency is the continuance to learn. But if you don't speak up and you act like you got it, you are failing and literally life or death for these youth sometimes, a lot of times. And so not being realistic about, I see these things on the assessment, but what do they mean? I, I have concern that I don't see enough of clinicians reaching out and being proactive and saying, what does this mean and what should this look like? Especially when you know the youth is not of the same culture or race or ethnicity of you. Everybody doesn't function the same and language is not the same across the board, but we have goals that are very devoid of who the person actually is and not burns me up inside. And then I think the other one, that's my personal gripe. This may not be everybody's gripe, but I feel like, especially with social media, having large platforms has equated to the person being a professional and knowing what they're talking about. And it burns me up because a lot of times, especially the ones that are like fresh out of grad school, you've been practicing for three years and you are the guru. Absolutely not. I still have areas that I'm working on And you're a master's level. I have a PhD. You're a master's level. And you're a guru because you have this many followers. But it it bothers me because it stumbles not only the profession, but again, you're harming real lives. When you make these statements, you make these blind statements and then you walk away. It's like they drop these things and then they go back inside. And it just sits there and everybody's like, oh, my God, that makes so much sense. I'm glad you said that. I'm like, no, (laughs) that's not correct. But you can't, you know, you can't be the person that's on everybody's page like with the, with the Twitter thumbs because then one you a hating and it's like, what? Does she not have anything else to do? She just stood around erecting everybody. So,
0: <laughs> And I'm glad you say that, you know, as someone I, I you know, I, I am on social and this and that. I've been practicing for almost two decades. I still don't claim to be perfect. And I'm always claimed to be a learning work in progress. Hey, you know, if I can share something that works with my students and works for me, but doesn't mean it's going to transfer over to everyone else's students and, you know, using it with, with caution and things of that nature. But I love what you said, we all still have a lot to learn always. And to always ask for help if you're unsure of what is the most appropriate goals. Exactly. For our students and asking for feedback, Mm -hmm. asking for input and not just assuming based on, test scores that are biased and not relevant. (laughs) That is so true. Yeah. It is so true. Well, thank you. You've shared so, so much and so much insight. Where can everyone learn more about you and everything you have to offer?
1: Um, So after I just said all of that about social media, (laughs) um, (laughs) I am on social media. I am very mindful of being aware of my scope of practice and then also staying within my wheelhouse. It's very rare that she'll see me talk about something I have no idea about. Um, so on social media, I am on Instagram, Doctor underscore Forensic SLP, and I just mainly talk a lot about the school confinement pipeline and being aware of you know the different things that could be coming up for the youth that you work with if you're working with marginalized and under resourced um, uh, population. And yeah, that, that's the that's the social media I'll give because the other one is personally ratchet. So we're not going to go there. And then I am on Facebook. The same. Facebook is the same. And um, Dr. Juvenile Forensic SLP. Honestly, the content is the same. It's just, you know, some people don't have Instagram. So we function on um, Facebook. I have Twitter, but the, the data is Twitter's a little low key for me. I don't think I'm too old for Twitter. So
0: I am too. So it's OK. Like I have an account, but I don't think I even know my password to log yeah, in. So it's OK. Yeah, I think Twitter <laughs> is like, we Twitter doesn't work for me
1: because I'm wordy, and Twitter wants you to say it in a, in five words and be done. <laughs> and I'm not there yet in my life. The whole I can't like Twitter makes me bad because I have so much I want to say, so I don't mess with it.
0: If you, and I will recommend. I'm going to put all the links in the show notes for your social media information, things of that nature. Uh, your link tree on your Instagram has so many references um, to all of the publications that you've written on the topic. If everyone wants to learn more about it. And just more that Dr. Shimika has to offer because she has so much, but I, we can be talking all day here and yes. I don't want to keep you all day. So thank you so, so much. I always end my episodes with a joke because it's light and fluffy mm-hmm. and fun. So what animal is always at a baseball game? Oh, goodness. Lord, oh, I ain't good at jokes. What animal is always at a baseball game? A bat. I don't
1: know. I mean, I love, love. look at the multi-meaning words all of the good listen i would have never thought that simple mul- a, multi- a
0: multiple meaning word i cheated i have the joke like website right in front of me so that's I, you know. so cool i like that that's a shame that- it's all good it's all good well thank you so much we we'll have links to everything in the show notes thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of your wisdom and everything and thank your you. opinions and just really bringing a light to all of our listeners. And everyone is just definitely inspired which and in getting the jolt of inspiration that they need to be the best SLPs they can be. And we'll make sure everyone checks you out on social and all of the information that you have to offer. So everyone listening, until next week, stay out of trouble. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. It means the world to me that you're tuning in each and every week and getting the jolt of inspiration you need. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at my website, speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss any future episodes. And while you're there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun, and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.